everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. He is a mighty God. He is a mighty God. Thank you, worship team, for that. that I love that song. I heard that song for the first time in years a couple weeks ago, and I was just, I was hoping for a moment that I could take over the mic and sing it, you know. Uh, (laughs) So I love that song and love that spirit of worship we feel in this place. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, I'd like to direct your attention to... Mark chapter 3, and you can go ahead and turn there. I am so excited to be in Young Adults tonight. Is anybody else excited to be in Young Adults tonight? It feels good in the house of the Lord. Glad we had enough room for everybody. I think we did. Uh, So, if and we got more seats if someone shows up, so make sure they sit down. (laughs) All right, well, Mark chapter 3, I'm going to start verse number 10. We're talking about... A man tonight named Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. And, of course, the Gospels, they, they're the story of his life. And we're starting here in Mark 3, verse 10. It says, Jesus healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they fell down before him. And they cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Skipping down to verse number 22, it says, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, so people show up, Jesus, he's been, he's been working in this situation, he's been working in this city, he's been healing, he's been setting free those who were demon-possessed, and the news gets out, and now the scribes hear about it. Somebody say, these people were super religious. They were super religious, and they were from Jerusalem. They were from the super religious place. And they show up, and they don't have a way to explain what this man is doing. They don't have a way to explain what Jesus is doing. All they know is that, uh, Brother Chase, it was supernatural. And so they see what he's doing, and they say, he has Beelzebub, or he's demon-possessed. The man who's demon-possessed is using his demonic powers to exercise the demons of people who are also demon-possessed. That was their argument. That was what they were saying. And by the prince of devils, he cast out devils. And it goes on. It says, and Jesus says to them, and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You can put your Bibles down. I would, I would just want to teach in this place tonight, in this house of worship that we've already felt. I'd like to talk a little bit about a house divided cannot stand. Why don't we all just say a quick prayer, ask the Lord to be with us in this service. Lord, we're so grateful for what we feel in this place tonight. God, we're, we're, we're so honored that you would even show up, Lord, that you would want to move in our midst, God. Pray that you would anoint every heart, every life, God. Let us receive something from your word tonight, we pray. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. A house divided cannot stand. It wasn't just something Abraham Lincoln said, right? It was, 
he was actually quoting. I love when people attribute that quote to Abraham Lincoln. It's, it's funny to me because it's like, it's actually Jesus said it, but it's, it's okay. I, Abraham Lincoln's close. Uh, so a house divided. What do, you, what do you guys think of when you think of a home, of a house? Just someone, throw, be brave, throw something out. No wrong answers. What do you think of when you think of a house or a home? Cozy work. <laughs> yeah, I I think of I think of my family particularly. I think of you know not saying you know <laughs> not making any comments, but I I personally I think of my family. I think of when I my childhood home where I grew up. Uh, I think of my brother, my sisters, um, and so you thinking about this story of Jesus when he's talking about a house being divided. I, I just was drawn to the idea of my family. And uh, I can remember times in my life, like probably many of us, where I was divided against members of my family. Somebody say amen. Somebody, if, that's, that's probably happened to all of us. And I, and, and I see uh, some people in this place tonight. I know you have brothers. I see a group of brothers even, even here uh, tonight. And and I, I have a brother, just one brother. And so basically what that meant is there was, we couldn't split up the competitiveness to like another brother, like a third brother that you like, maybe I could also have beat at some things, you know, while my older brother beat me at things. It wasn't, it wasn't going on. It was just always conflict between me and my older brother. And if you know us, you know that we compete in just everything. Even if I don't like the game, even if there's no prize to be won, when it doesn't make sense, it's a board game, it's a video game, if it's just a vocab word, knowing what it means, if it's literally anything in life, I want to be better at it than my brother. I want to do better than my brother. So does anybody have any family members and you would say, like, I, I can relate to that? Like, I, okay, not as many people as I'd hoped. <laughs> but that, so it might not have been your family dynamic, but that was my family dynamic, and so just allow me some therapy uh, tonight. <laughs> So, I, I, thinking about my brother, thinking about competition, I, I can remember a time a few years ago, we were playing basketball, and so, like I said, I wanted to be in everything, but especially basketball. Like, that was the number one. That was the number one thing. And we were playing a game, and uh, this was a unique experience because we were actually, we're not going to be playing one-on-one, -on -one, but we were going to be playing on a team. We were going to be playing other people. And I remember thinking, man, this other team doesn't know what, what's about to hit them. Because for years, we've been blood, sweat, and tears fighting each other. And now we're actually going to turn that loose on somebody else. All that craziness, all that turmoil, all of that, all of the issues, if I'm being honest. We're going to use that as a weapon to beat the other team in a game of basketball. And uh, I remember we, we played the game, and I'm not going to go through every play, uh, thank God. But we, we played this game, and the game lasted like five minutes. We'd already got beat, and I remember how it ended. It was Jeremy on one side yelling at me that I didn't pass him the ball enough, and it was me on the other side yelling at Jeremy that he shot every time he got the ball, and then he'd say, he would say, well, I had to shoot it because I knew you weren't going to pass it to me if I gave it to you, and then I would say, well, I didn't want to give it to you because you missed every shot you took, and it just <laughs> over, over and over, and, and, I, and I, it's funny because while we were competing with each other, we had been so locked into doing that that when it came time to compete against someone else, we didn't know how to do that. All we remembered was just to fight each other. <laughs> so even in a situation where we should have been unified, 
Even in a situation where we shouldn't have been divided, our own selfish goals to look better than the other or whatever it was, got in the way and caused us to miss what really was important. It caused us to not achieve the victory that we were planning to achieve, but instead we fought against each other. And now we, we could all go around the room, and it probably wasn't basketball for all of us, but we could all remember a time where we went into something with good intentions, where we, maybe you were wanting to help out in the kitchen on Thanksgiving or something like that, and you got in and you didn't realize that this situation was tantamount to like a bomb squad defusing a bomb, uh, and you tried to help and you didn't know what you were doing, and then it ends with you getting yelled to leave the kitchen or people crying. You know, just family stuff sometimes can just devolve into really the worst thing it could be. Uh, <laughs> Not saying families are bad. They're great, obviously. Of course we know families are great. But sometimes our intentions can be separated from the results. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. 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 We can go into something thinking we should be unified, but along the way we get separated. But I would like to say here tonight, and and just allow me for a second to talk about the church today. And that's, although family, we might be divided against someone we're related to or or, or along that nature, the family of God should never be divided. The family of God should never be separated. Because what unites us as the family of God is so much more than just the blood that runs in our veins, Brother Gabe. It's so much more than, than that, but it's actually the blood of Jesus Christ that has been applied to each of our lives. It's the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you just like it was spilled for me. And that when I went down in the waters of baptism and when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I was born into something that was so much bigger than myself. I was born into something that's so much bigger than winning a basketball game or anything like that, but it's literally about the salvation of a human life. And so as a church family, we have to understand that what might seek to detract us from each other, what might seek to divide us is actually nowhere near as great as the power of Jesus Christ to be able to save a life. If you believe that, say amen. Yes, we were going to have arguments like any family would. Yes, we will have our disagreements, but we should never allow bitterness from a division to creep up in our life and keep us from being what God wants us to be. We've got to be united. Somebody turn to the person next to you and say, we've got to be united. So It's so true. We've got we've to be united as the church. Acts 20, 28, it says that the church was purchased with God's own blood. Now, that's a unifying force. That's something that, if you think about it, really makes us all equal. Because although I might look at a life and say that, um, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have everything I would want to have, or maybe this life could be going better, or whatever, that, uh, whatever it might be, God's blood was spilled for every single person in this room and for every single person outside of this room. And he loves us and he cares for us. So that means that if you're a part of the church, how many are a part of the church? Amen. If you're a part of the church, then you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. But we might not all have the same background. In fact, we, we won't. Just statistically, we won't. We might not all have the same interests. We might not all have the same abilities. Uh, but we are all united. And we're all on the same team. Somebody say, we're on the same team. team. We've got the same goals. So back to the story here, Mark chapter 3, verse 26. uh, Jesus continues, and 
he's talking about a house being divided against itself and how it can't stand. And so in verse 26, he says, And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. And he continues, and he, and he says this too, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods or take his things, except he will first bind the strong man. And then he will spoil his house or he will take what he wants. This is what's great about the Bible because just a couple of verses ago, we got this amazing philosophical quote about, you know, a house divided against itself can't stand, right? That's, that's just a great quote there from Jesus. But then like two verses later, he's giving you the instructions for a home invasion. And he's, and he's, and he's telling you, no, guys, if you were going to rob someone, this is how it would work. But, and it, and it seems, it's like kind of funny and it seems silly. And I've read over that verse before and thought, what is, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't exactly know what it's getting at, but it's very powerful. And we've got to all take, uh, take some attention to, to focus on it tonight. Because what Jesus is saying, he's, he's saying that I went into a house and there was a strong man there. Who's the strong man? The strong man is the devil in this scenario. And remember, he had just came into Israel and he had just healed people. He had just set them free from their addictions. He had just delivered them from the demonic oppression that they were under. And so he says, I came into this house and there was a strong man. And I wouldn't have been able to take the things that belonged to him unless I was more powerful. I wouldn't been able to come into Satan's house and take things that he controlled unless I was able to bind him. I wouldn't have been able to come into this place that was full of addicted people, full of broken people, people who the work of the devil was alive in their life, unless I was able to be stronger than the devil and I was able to have the final say on what was going to happen in their life. Because that is exactly what Jesus plans to do in this city. That's exactly what Jesus plans to do in the life of every person is even though the devil might be ruling in that house, even though the devil might be the strong man in the city of Indianapolis, when the bars downtown, Jesus could in one moment step into a bar downtown and take a life that might look like it has no purpose. He could take a life that looks like it's got no purpose and change it into something amazing because the transformation power of the blood of Jesus will have the final say because Jesus has got more power than the devil at the end of the day. Amen. He says, I... It's, it's awesome when you understand what it means because he says, this was the devil's house. And who is he ta he's talking about, he's talking about a, a, a village in Israel. He's talking about a, a place where we would say religion was supreme. And, and you could even see people from Jerusalem coming to the city to, to talk to them. And he's saying, this actually was under the devil's dominion. He was controlling this place. He was doing what he wanted to do. But I came into this place and I said, I'm going to set them free. I said, I'm going to heal those who are sick. I'm going to change the lives of people who have been controlled by the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to destroy what the devil has done in your life. And that's, I think, what all of us would say we would like tonight. I don't want the devil in my life. I don't want the devil in my school. I don't want the devil at my workplace. I don't want things controlled by the devil to be harming me because there is something that is greater in me than what is out in the world. There is something that gives us the final say. It's the power of the blood of Jesus that can save us. Somebody say amen. amen. 
And this is what's so interesting about this story and even I think probably why uh, it was maybe even included in the gospel account is not just that Jesus showed up and did a lot of miracles because we know he did that. And even uh, the book of John says that if we were to record everything that Jesus did in his ministry, you wouldn't be able to fit it into all the books in the world. Um, but this story gets in, this, this story, and I think it's because of this. If you remember from uh, verse 22, it's the scribes show up, the religious people show up, and they should have been most excited about what Jesus was doing. Don't you, it, it, just let's think about it. If, if God was doing miraculous things in Calvary Tabernacle, who should be most excited, right? It should be the people who are trying to set the atmosphere for that to happen. It should be the people who are, are the shepherds, who are watching over, who, when, when God moves in a service and, and someone's worship leading or whatever happens, I think that worship leader is happy. I think that's a good day for the worship leader because that's what they're trying to accomplish. That's what their goal is. If you're preaching or teaching and someone begins to feel the presence of God and they see something that allows them to have revelation in their mind, and it's not because of what you did, but it's because the Spirit calls and reveals to us what is in the Word. That's a good day. That's what we're trying to achieve. And so when Jesus shows up and he unstops the deaf ears and he uh, opens the blind eyes and he raises those from the dead. The religious people aren't saying, oh, do more of that. Or, wow, that was pretty great. They're saying, man, this guy must be possessed that he's able to heal people. This guy must be possessed that he's able to do these supernatural things. They, and it's just a truth in the Gospels that a lot of times these religious groups like the Pharisees or the scribes mentioned here, they were a lot more concerned about the power dynamics of church than they were someone actually being brought to Jesus. They were so much more concerned about things that they should not have been concerned about. They, they didn't have the game plan in their view. They lost track of what the goal of the team was. They lost track that they were trying to win the game. They lost track of the main thing. They didn't keep the main thing the main thing, and they allowed their personal goals to supersede the goals of the church. They allowed what they wanted, their selfishness to to enter in into their motives. And because of that, they no longer wanted things that were good. And because of that, Jesus rebukes them. Selfish living will destroy your life. Selfishness will destroy your life. It will destroy, if you try to have a ministry, if you try to actually help people with your time on this earth, being selfish in that will cause it to be destroyed. It might look good, but it will, it will not come to the, the fruit that it's supposed to bear because the motive was wrong. You can't aim at the wrong thing and hit the right thing. Selfishness, it, it, it runs away with your spirituality. Man, what you probably notice this if you've been on a sports team before or if you've been in a group project. How many people like group projects at school? I don't. I'm glad no one raised their hand. So... <laughs> But you've, you've probably come into contact. I see a teacher, Brother Cole, he probably likes group projects. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Brother Cole, you've probably seen it in a classroom setting before where, where what's the goal of the class is to educate about a certain lesson or, or something like that. I don't know. I'm not a teacher. Uh, but then there's not every kid is on board with that goal, right? And sometimes the the goal of an individual can detract from what the goal of the team is. 
And when that happens, you will stray from your path. When that happens, you will have division. Division that, again, we all said in the beginning, there shouldn't be division in church. The church should be unified. The church should have the goal in mind. The, the, The goal of Calvary Tabernacle, I wouldn't speak for it, but I would say I think it includes every person in this city having a chance to come to the Lord. I think it includes producing mature Christians at at any level, whether it's um, from the kindergarten class or or up to young adults or even beyond that. The the goal of the church has to be kept in mind, but how often often does that become obfuscated? How often does that become secondary? It's it's too often, (laughs) I would say. It's too often. So we're talking about unity. That's what I'm trying to do. House divided. Can't stand, right? Unity. We've got to be unified. who can think of a time about the early church where they were specifically unified, where it says that they were unified? Anybody throw one out there? Yeah, I heard it, upper room. I heard it, upper room. Yep. What does the Bible say? Yep. One In one mind and in one accord. Amen. So do you think that when the apostolic church was in the upper room, do you think that they, they were wasting their time with petty arguments. (laughs) Do you think that the church in the upper room said, okay, you 50 go over here, us 70 will go over here, we'll have a church split right down the middle, and because you guys want to think that way, and we went, no, of course that wasn't happening. They were unified, right? They were together. They they had a goal. The goal was to tarry until he comes, to pray, to to be looking for the next thing that was going to endue them with power from on high. How could, uh, I remember that time in my life when when I was born again, when I had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, when I had gone down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, I, man, does anybody remember that time in your life where everything just felt good, didn't it? Like you just felt clean inside. You just felt like peace. You felt joy. You, you know, and, not, and it was, you felt like you made the right decision. You felt like you had achieved something. Everything was great. Even that person that maybe you hated, uh, you were like, I probably shouldn't hate them, you know. I just, <laughs> just forgive them. I so, even you, things were looking up when you received the Holy Ghost. But like the like that church in in Acts two, at some point you have to leave the upper room, right? At some point you come down from that spiritual high. You come down from that moment where maybe everything seemed perfect and everything seemed peaceful and joyous, and you come into contact with real life again. Uh, the apostolic church, they, they left the upper room, and, and what happens? They immediately had issues. Not only were they leaving with the 120, but they added uh, 3,000, multiple thousands, and of course they were going to immediately have issues, right? That makes sense. We know that. So what happened? Well, just three chapters after Acts 2, the situation that we all remember as a time where the church was unified, the Bible takes time to specifically declare that to us. Just three chapters later, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And what did they do? Someone, someone tell me. Yes, they lied. They lied about the amount that they gave. They held some back for them. They lied, right? And, and what did God do? He killed them. Now, talk about a church not being unified. People were killed in church. That, to me... Now, it's, we can, you, again, you can just read it and say, that was weird, I don't know what that meant, and keep going. But when you read it and take time to think of it, think about, you know, if that happened in a church service where me or you was at, 
We would never forget that. That would be, that would be a traumatic moment that, that would stay with us, right? It was, a, it was a glaring example of something being wrong in the church, right? Okay, well, what happens? Okay, surely that was a one-time thing, right? That was, no, it wasn't. The next chapter, uh, we see Hebrews and Grecians, they're arguing over uh, how the widows are being treated in Acts chapter 6. And so imagine that racism in the apostolic church. Isn't that... Isn't that weird? Doesn't that seem like, man, they would be better than that? No, it's just, it's, sadly, it's in the, the, the mind of certain people or they, they, whatever it is, through sin or corruption, and they decide to behave in a way that's totally not aligned with Scripture. You can see what Peter's ideas would have been on that in Acts chapter 10. It's totally not what the will of God was for the church, but it is what happened. It was division. It was massive division. He's... The widows, uh, Hebrew widows, are being given preferential treatment, and that, that caused a stir. And so um, what ended up happening is they, they elect a group of men, and one of the people they elect in Acts 6 is a man named Stephen. Right? And we know Stephen. He, uh, he, he preached a great message. He ends up being stoned, but he's chosen at first just to serve. And I think that that's something we've got to have a revival of in this church in this last day, is that we have got to be willing to just serve. It says he served tables. We've got to be willing to just do things that, this is the thing. This is a young adults class. We've, it, might, it might feel like we don't have energy sometimes, and I've been there, but I don't really think that it's going to get better. <laughs> so, so, so you might as well take what little energy you've got now and learn to use that in a productive way. <laughs> Because if you talk to someone who's 50 or 60, I don't think that they're probably going to tell you they have more energy then than they did unless they're doing like an infomercial on late night television. Then they might tell you that. But, but most honest people will say probably in their 20s, they, they, 20s and 30s, they were going to be doing the most uh, that they could do. That was, I hear that all the time. Like, man, when I was 20, I wouldn't have lost to you in a game of basketball or whatever. And I'm like, it's probably true. You know, it's just, sorry. I don't know. Sorry, I'm younger. But uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that. But <laughs> so, so young, young people, so what I was talking about, serving. We, we have got, focus. We have got to be able to just serve, just show up. And like you were saying today, and I didn't even know you were going to say that, but that's a perfect thing for someone to do. Maybe you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, singing or, or preaching or, or any other aspect of ministry. Maybe you can't play the guitar, or play the piano, whatever it is. If you can show up and move tables, you're doing the will of God. If you can show up and move chairs, you are doing the will of God. And if you're someone who maybe desires the things that uh, I, I just think it's got to be totally out of our mindset that doing one thing for God is better than doing another thing for God. I don't think that's how he sees it at all. Just a newsflash. Although it might be that way in the culture, although it might be that way, it seems, um, just in conversation, that's, that's not how God sees it. He sees service as service, and that's exactly what Stephen was stepping up to do. So Stephen steps up in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 7, what, what happens? Stephen, uh, he, he, he preaches and he, he gives an accusation to um, a council that was trying to kill him. And they end up taking him and they kill him. They stone him. And as he's stoned, there's a man there. Now Stephen, he served, he preached, he did all these great things. But he didn't have, you know, 20 chapters in the Bible talking about his ministry, right? But you know who did? 
a guy who was an active participant when he was being killed, a man named Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament. Now, think about division. This guy who was literally there aiding and abetting, I don't think he threw a stone, but he was holding coats. As people killed Stephen, he ends up becoming the most powerful voice of the New Testament church beyond that point. Now, how, how, how does that happen? It's, it's, again, it's the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus being able to step into a situation and change someone who was totally misguided and work it around for the good of the church. You know why Stephen was okay with just serving tables and just getting to do what he was uh, given to do? is because he had the team in mind. Because he had the goal in mind. Because he knew the game plan. Because he was willing to serve wherever he could. And because of that, God was able to reward him. And, and, and even though he was killed, and even though uh, maybe it seemed like on this side of heaven things didn't work out so well, he will be on streets of gold. He will be in heaven for eternity. And he will be serving God even in heaven doing the right thing. Because that's what service gets you. It gets you heaven. It gets you relationship with God. It gets you into a place where, again, the devil, he might be the strong man in the house. He might be someone who looks like he's got it all going on and he knows what to do. But at the end of the day, God will have the final say over your life if you cry out to him. If you reach out to him, Jesus will not leave you hanging, but he will take you to places that are so far beyond what you would have been able to get to through just your own ideas and your own intellect. So we see the apostolic church, we know it's, it's been known to have Big revivals, right? The day of Pentecost. We could go through history. We could talk about it. We don't have time. But it's, it's, it's also been known to have big divisions, as we've seen in Scripture. That was just immediately after Acts 2. You could go through many more parts of the Bible where you see that they are divided. The Bible says in Proverbs that contention comes from pride. And so just know this, that division is going to happen. Contention is going to happen. As long as we are dealing with humanity, as long as we are human ourselves, we're going to have pride. We're going to have things that we uh, have issues over. We're going to make decisions that are going to offend people. We're going to say things that are going to offend people. Division will happen. But the church cannot allow that to grow to where the church is divided. The church cannot allow that to grow to where we part fellowship with one another. Not over doctrinal ideas, not over theological concepts, but even just over simple things like, um, I don't know, uh, the color of the carpet being changed. <laughs> even over simple things like, uh, you know, maybe having a, a, a coffee, whatever that is down there. What is it? A coffee house? I don't know what it is. <laughs> coffee bar. See, we, even, we have a bar in church. <laughs> but it can, a coffee bar, yeah, that's my bad. A coffee bar, what, or, 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 or selling, selling merch on the internet. This, and this is, this is sad, but we can look at the, the New Testament church and think, man, they got divided over some, some silly stuff, or, or man, you know, I wouldn't have made that decision, but that's probably not true, because we're all human beings. We all have an astonishing capacity to make mistakes. Um, and so <laughs> we're talking about them, but really we're talking about us. But it sounds silly, and we're all laughing about it and joking about it. But, I mean, there are people who are not in this church because of issues like that. And I'm not, talk, I'm not mentioning anyone specifically. I'm just saying, I know, and I'm not mentioning those issues specifically. But because 
of just things that would seem simple. We all know someone who's walked away because of something seems silly. Something that if it maybe would have happened to them on their best day wouldn't have changed their course of action, wouldn't have caused them to reevaluate where they went to church. And some people maybe even stop going to church at all, stop going to an apostolic church. Not even they changed churches, but they just stopped going altogether because of things that they were just minor divisions. They were just simple disagreements, but they weren't dealt with in healthy ways. They weren't talked about one-on-one. They were uh, gossiped and they were spread. And then we've got to be beyond that in this day and age. We have got to do better because this generation coming after us is going to be looking to us for how you deal with conflict. It's going to be looking to us for uh, how we resolve those situations. And I want to tell you, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's right that someone could walk away from church because of the color of a carpet or because of a coffee bar, because of any simple issue like that. I think that what unites us again is so much greater than what could try to divide us. And the devil's going to be at work in the details trying to get us removed from one another. But if we say, I am a child of God. That is my identity. I'm not even just tied to being a part of a version of this church that I'm comfortable with, but I'm a part of the apostolic church that believes that there is one Lord, that believes that there is one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who's above all, through all, and in you all. That's what our identity is. It's not, it's not tied to what our opinions are, but it's tied to the immutable Word of God. It's not going to change, but it sets a standard that we have to believe in, that we have to abide by. Talking about house being divided, right? It can't stand. So we can't afford for the church to be divided, but how does division happen? And we've talked about it a little bit tonight, but in, in my experience, just speaking from my experience, it usually happens like this. Um, number one, Someone says or does something that is unkind or is unwise. Um, maybe they meant offense. Maybe they didn't mean offense. Whatever it is. Someone, someone does something bad. Okay, number one. Number two, it causes the person who's affected by that to isolate themselves, to dwell on that issue. Instead of going and talking about it, they retreat. Maybe they stop showing up to events. Maybe they stop showing up even to that particular group because there's someone there that they don't like. And so instead of being open and honest about this situation, they isolate themselves. Number three, after they've isolated, after they've, something's been done to them that offended them, after something happens that isolates them, and not making not making light of any of that at all about being offended because, man, it's not, it is not about if that's going to happen. It's about when that is going to happen. You will be offended at some point by someone in church, right? Just like if you had a brother or sister, you were offended by them. But, but sometimes in church, it, it can eat at us because we isolate, because we separate. But after, after that has taken place, the third thing that happens is that the individual who's been wronged they start to interpret everything after the fact through a lens of confirmation bias, assuming that the church actually wanted to harm them, assuming that the pastor actually was preaching straight to them, trying to offend them, assuming that all these, everything has now just become a, a weapon towards them, an indication of offense towards them. And I, confirmation bias is one of the most powerful forces in the world. 
It really is. And so after you've been offended and after you've isolated yourself, it's easy then for every little thing after that you scrutinize, you, you overanalyze. I'm, and maybe, again, that might just be my personality, but that's totally my personality where I will play back conversations in my mind and I will almost sometimes look for ways to feel slighted or, and I don't know what it is. But sometimes it's just human nature that we can be offended and then decide to stay in that offense, to not talk about it. To not open up a line of dialogue. Again, not saying the offense is non-existent. It is existent. It will happen frequently. It probably is going to happen more <laughs> uh, as we get older, as, as maybe uh, we start to deal with people who are in leadership positions and things people say. The, the devil wants you to be divided with those who really care about you. The devil wants you to be divided from the pastor, wants you to be divided from the executive pastor, from, from Brother Hussey, from all the leadership, because they know that they actually care about you, because they actually want to do things that are right for you. And so if they can get you separated, what does the scripture say? It's the devil's out of roaring lion who, who is walking about to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You've probably heard the illustration before, but what does a lion go for when it's hunting? It, it goes for the thing that is isolated. It, it, although a lion might look big and strong it doesn't try to attack things that are big and strong but it tries to attack things that are weak it tries to get the easy prey and that's how the devil works that's what he's trying to do he's trying to look for those who are isolated who are hurt who who believe that the church is out to get them we just can't afford to be that we can't afford to i've been hurt i promise you i've been hurt but i can't i can't walk away from what i know is true just because i'm hurt I can't walk away from what I know is true because I've been hurt. The actions of a human doesn't change what Jesus did on Calvary. He loves us so much. He doesn't want us to be defeated. He doesn't want us to be divided. Again, we've, and it might seem like, oh, this is silly. I would never leave church over silly issues, whatever. But I've had friends walk away from small reasons, we would say. I've had family members walk away because of small reasons that just built up over time. Again, it wasn't because there was some huge scandal, although that, that happens. It, it wasn't because there was a doctrinal issue that they had or something and they came to an impasse or a theological difference. It wasn't anything like that. It was just because a small hurt in the right place can cause so much damage when you don't deal with it healthily. So going back to what the scripture says, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. I got to finish here. I just saw the time. It says, there came then his brethren and his mother and standing without sent unto him, calling him Jesus. They're calling for Jesus. And the multitude sat about him and they said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. His, his family's looking for him after he'd done all these miracles, after he had just rebuked the scribes. And he answered them and says, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about them on which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So I just want us all to look around tonight. This is your family. And the words of Jesus, this is your family. Those who want, literally in some situations, but... <laughs> But this is the family. This is the family of God. It's, it's actually why we call each other brother. Yeah. 
right? It's why we call each other sister this. It's because we're acknowledging we're a family. So I'm going to wrap up tonight. Why don't we all just stand? This is just the two things, the two things I want everybody to remember. Number one, we're all on the same team. Somebody say, we're all on the same team. Number two, we can't let offense drive us away from what God wants us to do. We can't let division get in our life to the point that it becomes so much, something so much bigger than what it initially was. We've got to surrender that in prayer to God. So why don't we bow our heads. Lord, we love you tonight, God. Lord, we, we're thankful for the unity that we feel in the body. God, I'm thankful, Lord, that you have brought us together, Lord, through something that is as powerful.